Welcome, everybody, to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I am Teddy Schleifer. It is Monday, July 25th, and that means it's Media Monday. Editor-in-Chief John Kelly is in the house, and we're here to talk about Ari Emanuel's abs. Not really, but kinda. Other topics include why Jay Carney is moving from Amazon to Airbnb, and what happened in my first intramural basketball game last night. We'll hear about topics like that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Welcome everybody back to The Powers That Be. We're here with John Kelly, our editor for Media Monday. Hey, John. Hi, Teddy. How's it going? I'm good. We just published a piece by our, our media correspondent and senior abs uh, observer, Dylan Byers. A very important piece for folks who are you know, trying to understand uh, the inside conversation in Hollywood, in Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and Washington. And that is about Ari Emanuel's abs, really the inside conversation this week. John, do you want to just like give a, a quick backstory to, um, I'm curious what, what your reaction was when Dylan told you that he had this scintillating inside reporting on the Ari Emanuel body. You know, not, not every story, Teddy, as you know, something's come together in a pretty straightforward way. This one actually has a backstory. I think these photos posted to TMZ during our Monday uh, afternoon team call, right? Right. Loyal readers of the backstory will know that uh, there's always some sort of great activity happening on Puck Slack. We have these two meetings on Monday. One is a, a business performance one run through and the other is a uh, sort of more creative meeting. And, and that meeting was winding down and all of a sudden it was just a, a showstopper. And I feel like it was impossible for anyone to pay attention to anything because as Teddy, you know well, Ari Emanuel does not look like your average run-of-the-mill 61-year-old guy. I mean, that guy is stacked. And he also looks like he's very comfortable manipulating a yacht hose um, in, in foreign territory. I actually am going to take the minority view here, though, and suggest that I thought Elon Musk looked all right. I, th- I think he looked strong. He, he looked like he probably could lose a few here or there. I'm not body shaving him, and, and please, nobody. Like, like don't, don't at ag- me about don't this. Don't aggregate this. Don't at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't <laughs> at me. <laughs> Um, but I thought that he actually lo- looked like a guy who, uh, like a, a football player who was, you know, maybe a couple months out of shape. But yes, the world has gone crazy. And so here's what happened next. I got an unsolicited text message from a senior media figure who I will not name here saying 2,000 words on Ari, question mark. I said, okay. oh, come on, enough. And then this person persisted. And I said, all right, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there's much to say here. The guy looks great for his age. He just got married. You know, like at, at Puck, we appreciate uh, athleticism and love. And, and he's got it all going on here. And anyway, uh, after a couple of days, no joke, this topic of conversation came up like a bazillion times. And uh, it had come up to Dylan a bazillion times. And at that point, the horse was off to the races and there, there was no reining it back in. For folks who have not who have not read uh, the story yet, includes... Uh, details such as his uh, what what type of smoothie he has, which is a kale charred spinach avocado smoothie. John, our, our friend uh, Brian Morrissey, uh, I saw this on Twitter earlier today, made a good point, um, which is that a, well, a Brian doesn't really believe that uh, this is this is Ari's actual diet, and, and seems <laughs> to think that there's a little bit of mythologizing here. But he made a good point. He said he said I think he could just do more planks and pull ups and get eighty percent of the way there 
and live a far more normal life. There is like an element of, I mean, I read this uh, with my Silicon Valley glasses on and, you know, th there is an element of, of kind of tech titan. Right. You know, Ari's not the cryogenic tech. therapy. Yeah, adjacent, just people who are, who are obsessed with these, you know, like getting 80% of the way there in, in sort of biohacking is not good enough, right? Mm -hmm. There's a, a difference between good and great. And that, you know, it requires living not a far more normal life. It requires doing crazy shit like uh, <laughs> Ari is alleged to be doing, such as waking up at 2.30 a.m. Yeah, that's the most compelling detail is the 2.30 a.m., then the meditation, then the sauna. Right. But that, 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 that's always a part of like the Silicon Valley, like success machine, you know, autobiography is, you know, mm -hmm. Eric Schmidt wakes up at 3.35 a.m. I mean, there's, there's an element of like, I know Ari, I'm sure did not want this out there, but obviously it makes him look extraordinarily driven. And West Coast people also do tend to wake up much earlier in order to, to be involved, especially when they're running businesses in New York and Europe. And, and full disclosure, uh, Puck is a uh, WME client. That's a, a division of, uh, of Endeavor, the, the public entity that he runs. But anyway, the, the guy looks great. The thing that actually has been the most interesting to me is uh, his abs are so chiseled that people have forgotten the, the man who he's hosing down, who happens to be the, the wealthiest man in the world, who's involved in, in probably right. the most recognizable litigation case, um, you know, since I don't know when. Um, only a, a few days ago, we found out that the Delaware Chancery Court is not going to listen to Elon Musk's protestations to delay the trial, elongate the trial. They're saying, no, we're, we're going to do it and it's going to be short and we're going to get right to it. And of course, the, the chancellor who is overseeing this case, uh, Kathleen St. Jude McCormick, she recently adjudicated a much smaller but similar case and, and enforced the transaction. So I have two questions for you, Teddy. First of all, I just want you to make a prediction about what you think is going to happen, whether this is going to close or settle. Okay. And I also want to know if the if the sort of flavor um, or, or the taste for Musk in Silicon Valley within the world that you cover has changed. If he's gone too far here, I've heard that his family members are sort of annoyed by this. They didn't want him to go through with it. And, and this is all an unnecessary pain in the neck. So I wonder if his, if his peer group is also uh, rolling their eyes or even uh, yawning a bit more than that. Well, as a uh, expert Delawarean, someone who is, knows too much about Delaware Chancery Court, including, uh, we'll, we'll see, this is, I'm from Dover, Delaware, for folks who are not long-term listeners to pot, unlike our CEO, uh, Joe Perchicki, who's from Wilmington, Delaware. We all have different uh, divisions of the Chancery Court, which I will, uh, that'll be on the uh, powers that be inner circle call next for anyone who's super interested in Delaware Chancery Court. Yeah, if, for the Delaware media market only, <laughs> yes, I think. Yes, There actually is no Delaware media market. It's only Philly and Baltimore. I would be shocked if this actually went to court. As Bill Kine has written, you know, there's clearly a lot of numbers between one and 44 or between one and whatever Twitter's market cap ends up at the end of this trial. The argument that, that Twitter is shrouded in uncertainty, you don't, you don't need to go to Harvard Law School. That, that makes perfect sense, which was sort of the crux of the decision we saw this week. Just put yourself in the shoes of, you know, a 33-year-old PM at Twitter right now. I mean, I mean, you have no idea, is this company going to be totally transformed under a new CEO? Or is it going, are we going back to the 2018 era of Twitter where, you know, things were relatively normal. Maybe it wasn't surging on the stock market, but you had a normal nine to five or, or whatever existence. It seems patently obvious that this company needs closure or, or certainty. So an expedited trial in October feels like, in theory, uh, the right decision. Though I, I, I imagine there will be a lot of calls between lawyers in September and October trying to find a number between 1 and 44. As much as I want people to visit Dover, Delaware, 
um, I don't think it's going to happen. How about you? First and foremost, you know, as you know, Teddy, Puck has shared a block with Twitter for about a month and change in Chelsea. I don't think I've seen a soul walk into that building. So if Elon does go through with this transaction, my first piece of advice would be to sell the place, even in a um, even in a soft market. I think Twitter in, in SF is in the old Chronicle building, right? No, they're, they're, Twitter has a uh, has a very controversial building in, in the Civic Center area, which was paved through with extraordinary tax breaks in like around 2011. Okay. Elon had tweeted about turning into a homeless shelter because he thinks oh, right. that no one's actually going into the office anyway. <laughs> That's funny. Well, yes, I agree with you. I, I actually don't think it's going to even get to the um, to this hearing. I, I think that they'll settle before. Uh, one of the things I'm very curious about, and this is a sort of semi-prediction or extemporized suggestion, is I wonder if he'll find a way to behave more favorably about the company, see if the, the stock price is going up now, now that um, mm. th- there's going to be a trial. It seems like these ARBs who bought Twitter expecting the deal are now optimistic and maybe more people who, who you know, who bought in at, at, when it was, you know, hitting its low in, in 30 are are coming back now. And so I think the spread is shrinking. I wonder if there's any any way to, to shrink it further. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm not suggesting any way that he do anything manipulative that the SEC would find problematic. But uh, it seems like the spread is shrinking and it's going to shrink to the point where this is probably a manageable loss for him. And when you're that ungodly wealthy, uh, I presume that uh, a, a multi-billion dollar uh, penalty has some sort of uh, positive tax avoidance upside somewhere else in his portfolio. John, let's take a quick break and we'll come back after this. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. We're back here on the Powers That Be with John Kelly from Media Monday. John, someone who is not on the boat, um, as we shift as shift our gaze, <laughs> shift our gaze to there's really the haves and the haves nots. There's the folks in the boat <laughs> and, and and the folks who are. One day, Teddy. One day, Jay Carney, who is as much of a, a Powers That Be character as there possibly could be, someone who has had a successful career in lots of different power corners of American society and journalism, 
in government. And for the last five years, Carney's been a pretty high profile figure. I feel like, you know, his his tenure as sort of the political and policy Sherpa to Jeff Bezos as the head of government affairs and external relations at Amazon. Jay Carney is now stepping down. The news was broken today to do basically the same job at Airbnb. There are a lot of crossovers between Amazon and Airbnb, sort of these two-sided marketplace businesses. A lot, a lot of execs, even when Airbnb was private, that would leave Amazon and go over there. There may be some board crossovers too. I'm not remembering exactly. But Carney is, I don't know, I'm curious if you've had any interactions with him just over the years, but he is, you know, he was an aggressive guy at Amazon. Like, you know, he, you know, Bezos, when we, when Carney took that job at the end of the Obama era, like Bezos was not this target of the left in the way that he is today. I mean, Amazon was a smaller company, just straight up. And it makes me think about what this move means uh, in sort of the big picture of highly choreographed, closely scrutinized PR moves. There are a few people who have more experience or higher profile than Jay Carney. Yeah, Jay Carney's interesting for a bunch of reasons. You're right. He was a sort of mid-level reporter at time in the Mark Halperin era. You know, I think he he maybe, I'm sure someone would would roll their eyes at mid-level, but he was, uh, I think he was the White House correspondent. You know, he was a very connected journalist, but but he was not Maggie Haberman, I guess, for for lack of a, a better term. I don't know him, but I knew a bazillion people who worked there and worked with him. And it was stunning when he went to work for Biden first, I believe, and then eventually got elevated to be press secretary. And in lame duck era Obama, I'm not taking anything away from the guy, but it, it, this wasn't like he wasn't Robert Gibbs. You know, he he worked through the system. And you're totally right that when he got to Amazon, everything was different. Amazon was different. It, it, I don't think it had even owned Whole Foods yet. And Jeff Bezos was like ostensibly this happily married guy. So uh, I, Carney's public profile changed significantly when the sort of dick pic photo um, saga happened. And I believe he worked with Jeff Bezos, or I, I can't imagine a world in which he didn't work with Jeff Bezos to write that that medium post that made all these, you know, maybe it was a, a window into this sort of writer Jay Carney was, all these sort of... Um, not entirely founded allegations about the vast, you know, conspiracy, political conspiracy against Bezos. He uh, referred to all of this as a complexifier, which was a, right. a word he made up that, that I uh, immediately fell in love with. It's just like a, a totally um, bit of like, you know, post-Arcana bullshit that was, um, I guess, a sort of seven-figure uh, rabbit out of a hat. I don't know what Carney's skill is, but but this is a skill of a of an entire class. We, we were talking before the show about Chris Lehane, who was the um, right. the Clinton-Gore era person who had this job before. He's now working for Katie Hahn. The, the job at Airbnb um, before that Carney's taken. Excuse me, yes, right. Um, and I, I think Carney would, would correct us both if we said that he was a PR guy because he's not. It's, it's messaging and policy. I, I don't know what that means precisely, but what I think it means generally based on the people I know in this world and, and, and Jeff Morrell, the person who left Disney, would, would be a sort of, you know, probably lesser paid peer to this is you spend a lot of time with the boss. You help the public shape the perception of them, and you also help them shape their perception of the public. And so Mm. I was not surprised to see this move because Bezos has now ascended to a new new realm and a new place in his life. Andy Jassy is the CEO of Amazon, and he wants his guy. The same way that, you know, Bob Iger was closely managed for his entire tenure by, uh, by Zinnia, and when Bob Iger left, Bob Chapek wanted his own person. I, you know, I think everyone will tell you he handled it very imperfectly. Zinnia Mucha, I think I may be mispronouncing your name, was um, respected and feared in the business. And he hired somebody um, who 
had no experience in entertainment and, and seemed like he was very turned on by some of the soft charms of working at Disney. So anyway, th that's the point that the connection between principal and PR, comms, policy, body man, extraordinaire is everything. And I presume this is this is a Brian Chesky move. He's met him. He feels comfortable with him. And if you're Jay Carney, he's probably thinking, okay, this is a guy who's like 40, you know, um, maybe, maybe just north of 40. And yep. he's going to, you know, be his guy for the next 10, 15, you know, 20 years, however long Brian Chesky still wants to run Airbnb before, you know, he's building his own rocket ship company or whatever. Right. I know Obama and Chesky are actually pretty close. And, and you know, Chesky is someone who I think sees the, you know, center left kind of political class as, you know, he admires them. Um, so mm -hmm. it makes sense from, from the Chesky perspective as well. Carney had some real kind of screwball moments at, at Amazon where he would you know, he he still tweets in a personal capacity, whatever that means, you know, where Carney would, I don't know if you remember this, John, where Carney was like making fun of one of the umpires during the World Series, maybe two or three hmm. years ago, where he was like tweeting that he was like some like fat, overweight, speaking of people, speaking of body shaming, Carney was tweeting about that. And, and, and like, you, you could think like, who cares about Jay Carney's tweet at, you know, 10.30 p.m. in a personal capacity, but when you are mm. head of public relations or policy or at Amazon, like, Oh no! Yeah, that's that's an own goal. That's crazy. I think I recall Amazon just like officially apologized for Carney's like eleven thirty p.m. tweet about some oh hump in the God. World Series. You know, and you know Amazon also had a number of tweets going back and forth with member of Congress about whether or not Amazon drivers had to pee in bottles or not, and Carney was really involved with that. So like, I think you know Amazon became obviously very aggressive as scrutiny increased on them, and sometimes it seemed a little bit too torqued up. And Airbnb is, you know, always sort of trying to position himself in Silicon Valley as like the nice guys, right? Chesky is like very well liked. They benefited for a long time of being in the same generation as Uber. And it was often Uber and Airbnb. So Chesky could be the anti-Travis Kalanick, which helped. But, you know, Airbnb is also still even, you know, a decade plus into their existence, like still fighting with cities all the time, um, especially internationally. You know this well, Teddy, when you talk to incredibly successful CEOs who've run disruptive companies, they actually don't think about politics the way we do, where it's big government, small government, social issues. They tend to, besides Peter Thiel and a few others, all generally agree on a number of set issues. They're fighting for uh, ways to grow their businesses. And um, and they tend to think that people who disagree with them just don't understand the world in the enlightened capacity that they do. So I think any bit of baggage that Jay Carney has is, is obviously an advantage to, to someone like Brian Chesky, who you're yep. right, has cultivated this image as, as a good guy. I think he went to RISD, of all places. Correct. Like he's, he's, yes. not, he's not cut from the same cloth as many of these other characters. Also, an extremely fit guy, by the way. Um, Former collegiate bodybuilder, if I recall. Right. So, so Ari, look out here. Um, we'll, we'll see you both at the Puck Triathlon. But I, I think that they, they need bruisers. This is why guys like Bradley Tusk and Chris Lehane, who are used to waging very public battles, um, why they're, they're comfortable in that role. And it, it's not for the faint of heart. And as, uh, as Don Draper once famously said, this is one of my favorite quotes, that's what the money's for. John, I'll let you go. Uh, hope you had a great weekend. And um, any any final thoughts about the NBA offseason before? Yeah, so Teddy, yeah, we, we decided we were going to talk about this quickly. I, we did this last year in an untaped episode that, that you pointed to in a, in a moment when it looked like the Miami Heat had a chance to go the distance. And I, I sort of cut off your knees there. I've pointed this out multiple times. Predictions that don't turn out to be true are, are often considered uh, incorrect. But um, where is Durant going? Well, the, the Knicks signed Donovan Mitchell. 
And I would like to know the um, the 2023 NBA champion. I think Durant stays with the Nets. I think that the the, the at the end of this, the, the, the trade value the Nets are going to expect. Durant is on the Nets at the start of the season. Um, mm. I think there's there's not that many people who can put together a package that would be good enough to get you know a top five NBA player. And you know Kyrie resigning. I know Durant made the made his intent to be traded public right after Kyrie signed, but I have a feeling that they're going to start winning games. Durant's going to see an NBA championship in the offing and, and stick around. I mean, that's that's going to be good. I mean, Kyrie didn't play half the season last year. Um, NBA champion, I think, I think is the Bucks. I think they made good offseason moves. I think Giannis is still the best player in the NBA. I think they sort of got rough exit last round because of Middleton being injured in the entire series of the Eastern Conference Finals. I think the Bucks are the best team in the NBA, and I don't actually think it's particularly close. I agree completely. Uh, I, I'm, I'm stunned. Uh, this is, okay. um, I'm on rubbing off points? This is great. On both those points. Yes, okay. absolutely. I, I think, um, I actually think that the Bucks also have assets to make a, a midseason trade. And um, this sounds crazy, but I would not be shocked if Russell Westbrook ends up on the Bucks and actually is a, a net positive addition. Oh, really? Okay. Just got to shoot yeah. no shots a game. They still have 10 shots that they can distribute um, for, especially for Knights when, when, when Middleton thinks he's the top 10 player, uh, which is often. My, my indoor basketball league started last night. I'm, I'm on a team with with four other people, all of whom are friends with each other. Um, and I am like the one person who's not in this friend group. So basically last night in my game, for people on my team who are listening to this podcast, which is of course all of them, I did not get the ball much. I'll just say that. I think I was getting some Russell Westbrook treatment. No passes. I think I shot the ball twice. Well, we know you're not a ringer, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The problem is don't be on a team with people who are friends with each other because um, you know they're all shit-talking me the next day. Um, <laughs> all right, John, let's have a good week. All right. Thanks, Teddy. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.